Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your great faithfulness to us in so many ways revealed every day. We thank you that we live here in the United States of America, the country you've used to preserve your truth and send missionaries throughout the world. Lord, everyone here, people watching on the internet, they sense that things are just changing in this world. We pray that you would be with us as we're at this agriculture conference and that we learn your plans for our lives. Pray that you'll speak through me, send the Holy Spirit to give me words to say and help the people to hear your people that love you and want to follow you. We thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you can open them to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, you probably, many of you had this verse memorized or these verses memorized, Jeremiah chapter 29, and let's take a look here at verse 11. One of my friends who's a preacher, these are his favorite verses, and um, they give me great peace as well. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then ye shall call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. You know, it's a wonderful God that we serve. Amen. Do you love God? You know, you think about what he did for us. Sent his only son to die on the cross for us. As a father of four, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a seven-week-old. Um, I'm understanding more about the Bible than I did ever before. I still don't know very much. But, um, you know, you have your little dear ones. Can you imagine sending them to a person who to die for a person who didn't care about you, who, you know, was your enemy? Could you send your son or daughter to do that? It's just amazing to think about that. God has plans for us, and the title of this topic is called Tens of Thousands. Tens of Thousands of what? You may have wondered if you saw it. The question is, of farmers? I used to be in sales, used to be in a lot of things, and uh, I hope to sell you on something tonight. Sales, if you're an honest salesman, is you tell the truth attractively, and that's what I'm going to be doing, is trying to tell the truth and share with you what the Lord has shared with me in the most attractive way as possible. Does God want you to be a farmer? Some of you may already be farmers here. Some of you may be thinking about being a farmer. Some of you online may be, you know, just because you're online, God can be speaking to you too. He can be speaking to everyone at the same time. That's an amazing thing. I used to think that, you know, kind of a selfish thought, but I thought it was only me and God. <laughs> you might find that hard to believe, but that's the way I thought it was for a long time. And uh, that's a whole other story. I'd have to share sometime. This is my son, Elijah. He likes being out there on the farm. What are the reasons that one should consider being a farmer? One, and now these are not in order of importance, by the way. These are just the order that came to my mind. I'm going to save the most important one and one of the most exciting ones for last. So you're going to have to wait for that one. But number one on this uh, presentation is a great crisis is coming. How many of you believe that we are living in the last days? How many of you believe that things are different now than they were, say, 10 years ago? You know, I am a Seventh-day Adventist today, not because I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I never even heard of such a thing as a Seventh-day Adventist until I was 30 years old and became one. That was in 1997. 
And at that time, I thought the world was in a great crisis back then. I worked in the banking industry. And um, I was wondering, how come the United States is still going along? How come we're not bankrupt yet? And uh, then I received this flyer in the mail that said, United States and Bible prophecy. I said, well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe God is keeping the United States alive for some reason. I'm going to go to that seminar. And it changed my life. You know those handbills that sometimes you send out by the thousands to get people to come and study the Bible? And you wonder, are, do they ever work? I'm living proof they work. I praise the God for, for the work that uh, his people are doing throughout the world. You know, we know this. People, it's even in the movies. People in the world know about this. You go through the grocery line and if the, the number on the uh, cash register says 666, everybody goes, whoa, stands back. The Bible says in Revelation 13, 16, and 17 that a crisis is coming and he, this beast, which is a figurative, a symbol for a nation, you can figure that out from Daniel chapter 7, it explains Revelation, Daniel and seven, uh, Revelation work together, but it says he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Is that pretty serious? If God had the Apostle John write that down for us to tell us what was going to be coming to pass in the future, do you think God cared that we would uh, understand this and also Maybe uh, take notice and take some action to prepare for it? I think so. You know, I don't know about you, but I like to eat. I've tried fasting sometimes. I'm always looking forward to it about after a day that uh, I know the refrigerator is going to be full. In fact, I'll stock it with the things that I like so when I'm done, I'm... But you know, in this crisis, no man might buy or sell. And there's no waiting refrigerator at the end. Extreme economic pressure will be brought to bear on those who will be faithful to God. Do you want to be among that group that's faithful to God? By God's grace? Amen. And you know what? There's somebody who wants you to be part of that group even more than you. That's Jesus, your best friend. I'm going to speak very plainly because I only have a little bit of time. And I want to tell you that I believe, God believes, speaking for God here, it's a scary thing to do, and I know the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes that God has His people scattered throughout all the different churches and denominations of the world. There are His true followers here and there. In fact, the vast majority of Christ's true followers are probably not even in the Seventh-day Adventist Church right now. What I'm going to be sharing with you is some things from history that denominations believed all across this country, all different denominations all around the world. And it's part of history. I'll make it quick because this is really not the gist of it, but I want you to understand the times in which we live. The persecutions of the Protestants by Romanism, by which the religion of Jesus Christ was almost annihilated, will be more than rivaled when Protestantism and popery are combined. You know, I went to a place called Torre Pellice in Italy. Have you heard of Torre Pellice, some of you? There, there were people that believed the Bible. In fact, they kept the Bible uh, so well, they trained their children that they could recite chapters of the Bible uh, by memory. And they had all the school children, they could line them up and they could go from one book to the other and have the Bible recalled. They would hand copy the Bible and take it and go around and try and tell people, you know what? You don't have to pray to some saint or somebody to appease God in heaven. You can pray directly to God. Jesus loves you. You don't need to go to Mary to uh, talk to God. God loves you. He died for you. They told people a lot more than that. I'm making this short. But because they believed in God and His prophecies and they were upholding the Bible, they were persecuted. 
And uh, I went to this place where some of these persecutions took place. And this was written in a book called Historical Sketches, pages 242 of um, the author's visit there over 100 years ago. The next day after our trip to Bobbio, we visited an ancient fortress which is built on a height a short distance from Torre Pelice. Here we found a large open space enclosed by walls within walls, also extensive buildings which were formerly used as a monastery. Within the enclosure is a cave. This we entered and found ourselves in a room about eight feet square. The walls of this room were covered with a thick green moss on which drops of water glistened like pearls. From this room, there were openings in two, into two underground tunnels. One of these led down to the village into a building formerly used as a convent, the other to a Catholic church in another part of the town. Here, the secret workings of, mystery of, of the mystery of iniquity had been carried on. Here, many precious souls had lost their lives and left their bones to testify their faith. Why did they lose their lives? Because they loved Jesus more than life itself. And we're told that the persecution that was brought upon them is, that's going to be facing us, those that would be faithful in the last days, is going to be even worse. The devil is roaring, going about as a roaring lion, seeking to whom he can devour. Here's a picture of uh, this very cave. There's my wife, and you notice something on the walls? The green moss, exactly as described in, in the, that book there. There's the eight-foot room. And the two tunnels were there too, and you could see them going off. Here's the church down at the bottom of the hill where one went to, and I didn't see where the convent was. The crisis is coming soon. The Bible says in Revelation 13 that all the world will wonder after the beast. Are we seeing an increase in people's attention to the movements of the Roman Catholic Church? You know, this country was known for a long time as a Protestant nation. And, well, I've got to make, I've got to hurry. What time is this? 7.45. I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, it's not often I get to talk about agriculture so excited. I don't want to get bogged down in this, but, you know, there's people listening who may have not heard this before, so I'm going to say it anyway, that um, when Ronald Reagan was president, how many of you remember that? I mean, to me, that's my lifetime. Some of you are a little bit too young, but uh, we never had an ambassador, an ambassador to the Vatican until that time. Things have changed, and now... Uh, for the very first time in history, the leader of the Catholic Church came and spoke to Congress and uh, just this year, and they made quite a, a deal about it. I don't see the leader of the, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ted Wilson, being invited to come, and of course, we're not the biggest church in the world, or the Baptist Church, or the Presbyterian Church, or anybody else. The Bible says all the world would wonder after the beast. This crisis is coming soon. How soon? I believe it's sooner than we might even think. I'm going to share with you why really quickly. You know, I spent some time. I know this is an agriculture conference, but I've just got to do this because after I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I went and trained with an evangelist from Amazing Facts and traveled with him for a year. And the prophecies just run through my blood. I can't help it. And... Um, Especially when I see all these things taking place and I don't get to hold any evangelistic meetings. So now you're here. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't try to be funny. I'm not trying to be funny. I guess I'm trying to make sure that uh, you're okay with me spending a little time on this. You're very quiet. Oh, wrong direction. Sooner than we might think. How many of you ever read the book Daniel and Revelation by Uriah Smith? Have you heard about the three woes of Revelation? Found in Revelation chapter 9. They're the last part. The, there's seven trumpets. The last three trumpets are also called woes. The first woe was to continue from the rise of Mohammedism. We know as Muslims today or Islam. Until the end of the five months. 
AD 629 was the first war of the Muslims against the Romans that went through AD 1449. The second woe commenced when the 150 years ended, July 27, 1449. The period would end August 11, 1840. This conclusion was reached and the application, this application of the prophecy was made by Elder Josiah Litch. Have you heard that name? In 1838, two years before the predicted event occurred. And you realize that he wasn't the only one that came up with this. There are others that had the same idea. I heard people mentioning that as they were talking about their books. Several people writing books at the same time about the same subject. Why is that? Because they're listening to the same Holy Spirit. And that's the same thing that happened here. And when Josiah Litch made this prophecy, the world was in awe. The Ottoman Empire fell the very day that the prophecy said it would happen. And people said, whoa, wait a minute. They nailed this one. What else do they have to say? And it raised people's attention to the prophecies, and especially the prophecies of regarding the cleansing of the sanctuary. <clears throat> the Roman Empire declined as it arose by conquest, but the Saracens and the Turks were the instruments by which a false religion became the scourge of an apostate church, and hence, instead of the fifth and sixth trumpets, like the former being designated by that name alone, they are called woes. Daniel and Revelation, page 495. Now you realize, applying Revelation chapter 9 to um, the Saracens and the Turks, Mohammedism, the Muslims, is, wasn't just an Adventist idea. It was believed by all the different denominations. It's one of the most uh, prophecies in Revelation that people agree on. Says, everybody says, yeah, this is, there's so many details, they say it can't be anything else. This is what it is. The next verse in Revelation uh, 14 says, The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. I want to ask you something. If the first woe included a holy war, a Muslim war, what do they call those these days? A jihad. And the second woe included Muslim jihad, what's the likelihood that a third woe would include a Muslim jihad. You know, God works. He's the same today as he was yesterday. I love finding patterns in the Bible. Do you see a lot of patterns in the Bible? It helps you understand things and know you're on the right track because the Bible says the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. You're not going to have one prophet say one thing and another one say another thing. They're going to be in agreement, right? They're going to be in harmony. And... Uh, Ishmael, the son of Abraham, he was blessed. He was blessed. He was, he was Abraham's son, right? And when Joseph was thrown in the pit by his brothers, Joseph was having um, prophetic dreams, wasn't he? Watch out when you talk about the prophecies. The brothers weren't happy about that prophecy. They threw him into the pit. And uh, would you say they were apostate brothers at that point? Who came to the rescue of Joseph? Ishmaelites. When Jesus was born, his father Joseph was having dreams. God sent an angel and told him, you need to get out of here. Herod wants to kill him, wants to kill the baby. Take him and flee to Egypt. Who was it that came and provided the uh, means necessary to make their escape and have some money, frankincense, and myrrh? Wise men from the east. And then we see the first woe, the second woe. These were primary di direct, primarily directed at uh, those who were doing the persecuting during the dark ages that almost annihilated Christianity. So what are the odds are that... Now, here's the question. Have you been noticing the news lately? Is there a group of people in the news that's more and more in the news and just so much in the last five years? What about the word jihad? Have you heard of that before the last three or four years? Things are getting lined up. I don't know the exact order of what these final things are going to be, but I'm telling you, when I see these things, Michael's about ready to stand up. 
And when Jesus comes again, he's going to say, let him that is filthy be filthy still. Let him that is righteous be righteous still. We need to be ready. Amen. The apostle Peter says, make your calling election sure. Your conversation, the way you live, let it be with all godliness and holiness. Amen. And I believe God wants people to be on the farms and be in the country because it's an aid to salvation. It's an aid to being ready to meet Jesus in harmony, in peace, blameless, without spot. I'm going to just, for sake of time, blow through some of these here since I explained it already. Sometimes these PowerPoint things I'm still not used to. I get ahead of my PowerPoint. The time has come when as God opens the way, families should move out of the cities, their children should be taken into the country, the parents should get as suitable a place as their means will allow. Though the dwelling may be small, yet there should be land in connection with it that it may be that may be cultivated. Country Living, page 24. This is my family, all six of us. Um, Micaiah, he's the oldest. Elijah, he's the four-year-old boy down there. Annalisa, who I'm holding, and our newest baby, baby Noah, we call him. How much land do I need for a farm? Less land than you may think. There was a really neat discussion, a roundtable up here. Uh, it's been such a blessing for me to be here at these meetings. And I was amazed that I thought I was the only one with a f- small farm, you know, a couple acres. Because, you know, you, you watch the news or you learn about these things. You hear these people with 10,000 acres and 640 acres and 800 acres. And I'm thinking, I'm only farming about two acres. I, I don't know if I should be even coming to this seminar. <laughs> but you know what? I found out that just a few acres would be sufficient This is a picture of our strawberry patch right after we first put it in. It's probably the first year. Strawberries propagate pretty quickly. And behind us are blueberry plants. They're much bigger than that now. Now I'm going to share with you some statistics. And I don't do this to lift myself up or anything because, you know, my wife will tell you I'm learning. (laughs) Sometimes the hard way. A lot of times the hard way. But uh, I share this with you because I want to encourage you that you can do it. Can you do it on your own? No, this is another reason why I think God wants farmers is because if you become a farmer, you know what? You're going to need God. You're going to need Him to produce the crops and you're going to need Him to sell the crops and everything in between. And then you're going to need Him to recover. In our best year, our fields yielded over 4,000 pints of strawberries which we sell for an average around $2 each. Uh, how big is our strawberry field? It is a quarter acre, which is a field about 50 feet wide by 205 feet long. We did it that way because you can measure every 50 feet is a quarter acre. So we can, you know, I just thought that was kind of show that I'm paying attention to things and thinking about things. But actually, you know, if you're doing calculations, it makes it a little easier. Mostly we pick ourselves, but sometimes, like in this picture, we have you pickers come. My sons love the farm. They love working on the farm. They think going out and getting, especially Elijah, strawberries, unless it's in the afternoon and it's too hot, they just think it's like going and finding treasure. When he was two and he was out there, he'd come out there and every strawberry he picked, he'd come and show us. I got a red one. (laughs) That was good. Our blueberry field. It's so exciting about the different blueberries that we're growing. There's lots of different varieties. It's about three quarters of acre right now. has over 700 plants, closer to 800. When in full production, the plants should each yield about uh, 10 or more pounds. In our area, we get between 250 if somebody you picks or $5 if we pick per pound. You can see the plants are a little bigger here. You know, my wife, I didn't find out until after I was married. You know, that's a whole other story. 
um, how I ended up with a wife that I don't deserve. Follow God's plan. He's going to give you better than you deserve. And uh, I waited. And I didn't even wait because of my own goodness or smartness. It's just the Lord was merciful to me and helped me stop making mistakes. And uh, met my wife when I was working at a place called Amazing Facts, working on computers there. And she came in to teach. And somebody brought her to the office and said, uh, or said that this lady's here. We think you'd really like her. And she's uh, teaching and you should go meet her. We'll, we'll introduce you. And I said, no, I don't want to meet her. Because I already had lots of things I regretted. Broken a lot of hearts. Um, done that myself. And I already said in my mind, talked to God, I said, God, I don't want to get married or meet somebody or talk to anybody or do anything like that until I know who's the right person and I get permission from their parents and then I'll know. And then I don't have to hurt some girl again. And uh, it's a miracle the Lord provided. I have to share that testimony sometime. Actually, if you go to childrensministryplace.com, it's a website we haven't updated in a while, but you can go there and read a testimony about it. Our blueberry field. There's Elijah again. Micaiah picking blueberries. Country Living, page 18. In this neighborhood, there is a large tract of unoccupied land. Some of our people who are living in the poisoned atmosphere of the cities might profitably secure a few acres of this land. They could support themselves by raising fruit and vegetables and poultry. The sanitarium would gladly buy eggs and vegetables from them. I wish that some such enterprise as this might be started. A great blessing would come to parents and to children if they would leave the wicked, polluted cities and go into the country. You believe that? You know, if we believe God's prophets, we'll prosper. You know, I was so touched. I've been touched by so many of the presentations and stories I've heard. This morning I heard about uh, a school in Fresno, and they said there was a school in Los Angeles or somewhere that was buying produce from them because they couldn't grow it. And this text was just glaring in my mind. I said, look, exact example of uh, what we're to be doing. North Columbia Farms, there's our logo. Uh, I picked that logo or kind of made it because it, it looked like some of the scenic signs in our area that like say scenic route. And so I wanted every time people were driving around and they see those signs, I wanted them to think of our farm. And um, here's our market stand. And I didn't name it John's Farm or Quaid Family Farm. I named it North Columbia Farms because I figured if I call these places that sell pots and all this stuff, they might think I'm a real big farm and say, oh, we better quote them a lower case price instead of John's Farm, you know. Who's John? But North Columbia Farms sounds like treetop apples or something. That was the idea, anyway. I have a lot of ideas, but they're not... They don't help me probably as much as I might think they would. The second point. The other points are going to go faster, so don't worry, I'm not going to keep you here all night long. Point number two. It provides a food supply in a local crisis. We're living in a time, you know, back a hundred years ago, there was a lot more farmers as a percentage of the population. And a lot of people that lived... A high percentage of the people lived in rural places and they had gardens. They could k- take care of themselves. But now it's totally reversed. In fact, there's less farmers now than there was 100 years ago. And um, in America, anyway. And so that leaves problems. If there's disruptions in food supply because of terrorism or who knows what, uh, you could be, people could be in trouble in the cities. Things could be cut off. But if you're you know, living out there on your country place... Not only will you have it better, but you can be a blessing to other people. And you may have an opportunity to share with them about your God. Who can also be their God. Now this um, gentleman on the right is a famous guy. Some of you may know who that is. He says this, the land, that is where our roots are. There is the basis of our physical life. 
The farther we get away from the land, the greater our insecurity. From the land comes everything that supports life, everything we use for the service of physical life. The land has not collapsed or shrunk in either extent or productivity. It is there waiting to honor all the labor we are willing to invest in it and able to tide us across any local dislocation of economic conditions. No unemployment insurance can be compared to an alliance between man and a plot of land and God. I'll add that. Henry Ford, of course you know who he is. Number three, it's a source, a farm, a garden, is a source of healthy, nutritious food. We're living in times where, you know, some of the food that you may find in other places, stores, may be questionable. I don't need to go into all the details. I'm sure you're experts on those things. Jesus prophesied, he said, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Matthew 24, 7. If Jesus says there's going to be famines, are there going to be famines? You better believe it. Is that something we should be prepared for? Is that something that we can use as an opportunity to be a witness? Some crops we grow more for fun and for our own edification. These are uh, pinto beans. It's hard to grow a lot of, I mean, you can buy a big sack of pinto beans for what? A few dollars. Well, I thought if I can't buy and sell and I'm going to have to eat just what I have in the garden, I don't just want to eat salad every day. I kind of like beans and things, so I better learn how to grow them. You know, we grow them and we have fun. Um, we have long, cold winters where we live, and so sometimes we sit there and shell those things, and that's our fun. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think that was fun a long time ago, but I actually think it's fun now. You know, God changes us. By beholding, we become changed. That's uh, one of our cats, Peaches, there. If you bend over, well, he, he's not alive anymore, but he loved to climb on you. Some crops we, we grow, some crops we grew more for fun and for our own edification. And there's nothing like, you know, even foods that I don't like, when we grow them, I don't know what it is, but I like them. <laughs> have you ever experienced that? And our food always tastes better than everybody else's. And I don't have to prove it to anybody or anything because I just think it myself. And maybe it's because it almost seems like God just hands it off that tree to you and you eat it and it just tastes more special. These are blackberries that we've raised. There's my little girl. Peaches. How many of you love peaches? For 10 years, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to tell you and sell you on, on being a farmer. But it's not all easy. In fact, it's far from easy. There's a lot more easy things than you can do. Than you can do other than being a farmer. And we had failed with peaches year after year. Sometimes they got really big and then... They just all of a sudden died. The, tr the trees died right away. And I don't know what was going on. Sometimes maybe it was gophers, maybe it was the soil. And this is the part I really like about farming is working with God. Is that you don't have to get everything by a textbook. You know, you observe what's going on. And we have some peach farms and everything. We're kind of high up in the mountains in a mountain valley. And sometimes I'm a little bit covetous about the Farms that are down along the river and by the highway, they just open up a stand and people just come marching in and pick up their produce and they sell thousands of dollars of peaches and everything just grows there. And they don't, we freeze a lot earlier than them. But I try and remind myself, you know, there's going to be a time coming that I'm going to be happier, you know, not where it's so easy. But I noticed that they were growing these peaches down there along the river is almost in pure sand. And I said, you know, well, we've got really clay soil. And so this last batch of peach trees and things we put in, I dug big, had a backhoe come in and dug a bunch of things. I really love peaches. And we put in sand. And I mixed with native soil, some layers, some different things like that. And um, these peaches needed no sprays, 
and uh, they just produced, you can see, huge peaches. This is like a two-year-old or, you know, second year after planting tree, and uh, so we're really happy about that. And um, you get to experiment. I know that we have a lot of gardeners and farmers here. It's preaching to the choir. This is so exciting. You're not going to be too upset about anything I say, except for I, if I take too long. Um, pears. We love pears. Uh, raspberries. Blueberry. Oh, those were actually um, damson plums. We have people calling us from Seattle saying, do you have damson plums? Can you ship us damson plums? I mean, I've never shipped food and stuff before. Um, so we're thinking we might plant some more of those. Getting calls for tomatoes and different things. This is a smoothie out of strawberries. When we have our strawberry season, sometimes we have a hard time selling them all. And you know what we eat a lot of for breakfast? Big, the other strawberry farmers can contest to the, or can agree with this. Big bowls of strawberries. We could never afford to buy that kind of food. But we live like kings and queens. You've probably read this. Fathers and mothers who possess a piece of land and a comfortable home are kings and queens. Of course, there's going to be a time coming that we're even going to have to flee our homes and our farms. Isn't that right? So ultimately, as much as we love our farms and our country places, and it, you know, it can almost seem like you're in heaven already, and then sometimes I feel guilty. Lord, I'm too happy here. This place is not our home. Amen? And uh, the Lord can keep you in, in right balance. Don't be afraid to be happy and joyful. God wants you to be that way. Do you know that? Yeah. Okay. God's original plan he is a lover of the beautiful. He has given us unmistakable evidence of this in the work of his hands. He planted for our first parents a beautiful garden in Eden. Stately trees were caused to grow out of the ground of every description for usefulness and ornament. The beautiful flowers were formed of rare loveliness of every tint and hue perfuming the air. It was the design of God that man should find happiness in the employment of tending the things he had created and that his wants should be met with the fruits of the trees of the garden. To Adam was given the work of caring for the garden. The Creator knew that Adam could not be happy without employment. The beauty of the garden delighted him, but this was not enough. He must have labor to call and to exercise the wonderful organs of the body. Had happiness consisted in doing nothing, man in his state of holy innocence would have been left unemployed. You know, can you imagine that? If you're a farmer, you can't imagine not having anything to do. <laughs> I mean, I've got so many projects lined up, I know that I'm not going to be able to do them on this earth. We have to pick them up where we leave off. We need to be ready for Jesus coming, amen? It says, I've read somewhere, that our grandest dreams, whatever we could, I mean, it's going to be, nobody's going to get to heaven and think, man, I just wish I had a couple more years down here. I could have. I was really going to build that underground greenhouse and have lemon trees in the, in the north, you know. <laughs> but he who created man knew what would be for his happiness. And no sooner had he created him than he gave him his appointed work, the promise of future glory, and the decree that man must toil for his bread came from the same throne. Adventist Home, page 27. Work is nothing to be afraid of. Work is a blessing especially if you do it following God's plan. God's future plan. What are we going to be doing? In the earth made new, the redeemed will engage in the occupations and pleasures that brought happiness to Adam and Eve in the beginning. The Eden life will be lived, the life in garden and field. If we don't like living in, working on the land and like gardens and fields and things, do you think all of a sudden there's going to be this character change when you get to heaven? You're going to go, I really like uh, sticking my hands in soil and making plants grow and watching flowers. You know, there was a time in my life I didn't like any of that. But God has changed me. And if any of you are there listening on the internet, just happen to come across this or something, and you think, I'm not that interested in gardening, God can change your heart too. And um, we need Him to. You know, that's the new covenant promise. God will write his laws, where? 
in our mind, in our hearts, that we will want to do the things that please God. I know you're here because you want to please God. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Isaiah 65, 21 and 22. The development of character. Sixth reason for becoming a farmer. There are a lot of trials in farming. And uh, you, you, have to, you get to learn how to meet the trials. You get to learn how to have God's help. You need to learn lessons from them. And you know what? You do not so much damage to people because you're just dealing with plants. Well, you can be dealing with people too. But, uh, you know, some of the lessons, some of the development character, you know, a, a leaf or a weed isn't going to be offended if you make a mistake. <clears throat> what does working in the garden do for us? Well, you probably know a lot of these things, but uh, it develops our character. There's a big rock in the field there that was in our strawberry patch. My wife was trying to plant a strawberry, and she said, it feels like solid ground under there, and we dug up that big boulder out of there. It teaches us self-reliance to be self-supporting, yet at the same time be become dependent on God. And I haven't become, I mean, I'm more dependent on God now than I ever was. Before I was a farmer. I mean, I was then, but I didn't realize it. Now I realize it. And without him, I could do nothing. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Not only as we, you know, the first priority is to see Jesus on the cross, to see him in his life. And as we do that, we're changed into his image. But even as we are in nature, working in the garden, we are imperceptibly changed into his image as we view the things he's created. Don't you like to get some... Uh, free bonus help imperceptibly that means you're not aware of it you're not really actively doing anything you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're changed into God's image I like that it would be well for you to lay by your perplexing cares and find a retreat in the country are there a lot of people in today's world that are perplexed wondering what to do next wondering where their next meal is going to come from wishing they had a job a retreat in the country where there is not so strong an influence to corrupt the morals of the young. True, you would not be enti entirely free from annoyances and perplexing cares in the country, but you would uh, there avoid many evils and close the door against a flood of temptations which threaten to overpower the minds of your children. They need employment and variety. The sameness of their home makes them uneasy and restless, and they have fallen into the habit of mingling with the vicious lads of the town, thus obtaining a street education. To live in the country would be very beneficial to them. An active outdoor life would develop health of both mind and body. They should have a garden to cultivate where they might find both amusement and useful employment. The training of plants and flowers tends to the improvement of taste and judgment while an acquaintance with God's useful and beautiful creations has a refining and ennobling influence upon the mind. We need that. Referring it to the maker and master of all. Adventist Home, page 142. You know, some of you may have never heard of Ellen White before, uh, who wrote this book, Adventist Home. And uh, about 100 years ago, she wrote many books, maybe a little more than 100 now. And um, Paul Harvey, you've heard of Paul Harvey on the radio station? He said, what? You've never heard of Ellen White? You've never read have read in, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it exactly memorized. You've uh, never read any of your books? Get to know her. Read them. And in fact, a lot of pastors from many different denominations around the world um, quote or say that uh, reading some of the books by Ellen White are, are the best uh, sources for information for their sermons. Many different denominations. Even pastors, now I'm not a pastor, but my wife put that picture in there. Um, this was when I was working at Amazing Facts on the computer, building websites. Even pastors or office workers in the Lord's cause need this experience. We need to spend time in the garden. While I was there, I, I switched to 
uh, working three-quarter time instead of full-time just so I could get out early and uh, get more time in the garden. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. In the providence of God, he received a broad education, but a large part of that education had to be unlearned and accounted as foolishness. Its impression had to be blotted out by 40 years of experience in caring for the sheep and the tender lambs. If many who are connected with the work of the Lord could be isolated as was Moses and could be compelled by circumstances to follow some humble vocation until their hearts became tender, they would not be so prone to magnify their own abilities or seek to demonstrate that the wisdom of an advanced education could take the place of a sound knowledge of God. My wife, by the way, was a shepherdess for 20 years. And uh, sometimes I feel like Lord sent me into the wilderness to live with a shepherd to erase a lot of things from my memory and uh, ways of doing things to start over. God's in the business of helping people start over. Isn't that good? Did I tell you I wasn't raised an Adventist? Yeah, I never heard of one until I was 30. Then I became one. And I couldn't believe there were so many of them. And I said, how come they're keeping all this truth from the Bible quiet? <laughs> I turned to the guy next to me in the pew, and they were telling us the prophecies of Daniel, how the Bible predicted the rise and fall of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And I knew history enough that that was true. I turned to the guy and said, have you ever heard this before, that the Bible predicted all this? He said, no. I, I said, why are they keeping it a secret? He said, I don't know. I'm coming back tomorrow. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we ended up being baptized together. In a poignant sense, city existence is non-productive. It deals with what has been produced elsewhere. Moreover, it is dependent upon income to supply outgo. And in the great majority of cases, it has nothing to show. This is city living it's talking about. Not even character for all the time and money spent. Country life reverses this order. It not only produces outgo to supply income, but when well-ordered, it provides surplus. Nay, further, it develops character in the man and each member of the family. Nothing so well illustrates this fact as who's who in America, a survey of which will show that the majority of the men and women listed in its pages were reared in rural locations. Ecclesiastes says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And this is one of the hardest things to learn. But it's something that's learned when you live in a rural location. Five acres, part of my quote got cut off. Uh, I must have deleted a slide or something. But uh, this is from the book Five Acres and Independence by M.G. Keynes. It was written after the Great Depression. And it's, the purpose of the book was to encourage people to uh, go out and even on a small piece of land to learn to be independent and you'll be able to withstand the fluctuations of the economy. And it was a step-by-step how-to-do-it kind of book. There is not one family in a hundred who will be improved physically, mentally, or spiritually by residing in the city. Faith, hope, love, happiness can far better be gained in retired places where there are fields and hills and trees. Take your children away from the sights and sounds of the city, away from the rattle and din of streetcars and teams, and their minds will become more healthy. It will be found easier to bring home to their hearts the truth of the Word of God. Country Living, page 13. Send the children to the schools... Located in the city where every phase of temptation is waiting to attract and demoralize them, and the work of character building is tenfold harder for both parents and children. Let parents understand that the training of their children is an important work in the saving of souls. In country places, abundant useful exercise will be found in doing those things that need to be done, and which will give physical health by developing nerve and muscle. Out of the cities is my message for the education of our children. God gave to our first parents the means of true education, when he instructed them to till the soil and care for their garden home. After sin came in through disobedience to the Lord's requirements, the work to be done in cultivating the ground was greatly multiplied for the earth because of the curse brought forth weeds and thistles. But the employment itself was not given because of sin. The great master himself blessed the work of tilling the soil. Another thing is you can learn the value of money. 
when I was working in the banking system and that I, I earned a lot more money than I do now. You know, the Bible says money gotten by vanity. I'm paraphrasing, but it kind of disappears rather quickly. But when you labor and you're selling baskets one at a time for $2 a shot, you value every $2. Many a child who lives out of the city can have a little plot of land where he can learn to garden. He can be taught to make this a means of securing money to give to the cause of God. Both boys and girls can engage in this work, and it will, if they are rightly instructed, teach them the value of money and how to economize. It is possible for the children, besides raising money for missionary purposes, to be able to help in buying their own clothes, and they should be encouraged to do this. Adventist Home, page 388. That's a really good book, especially for you young people to read. Uh, Anybody who's thinking about getting married, it's a good book to read. Number eight, you know, farm life isn't all work. There's amusement, and it's innocent amusement. I've got a bunch of pictures here. I'm going to fly through them. These are my children out there. That's my Kaya planting strawberries. There we're planting blueberry plants, digging fruit tree holes. This is uh, battling gophers, gopher protection. There's a gopher that's caught. Cats. They love to pick the fruit, but they always want the cats up there in the tree with them for some reason. Riding ATVs are fun. This is my wife when she was a little girl. She was raised in the country, Silverton, Oregon, and uh, she loved to farm. Woodcutting is one of our favorite things. Boys just can't wait for the fall to go woodcutting. That's Annalisa there in front. She likes it too. They have their little chainsaws. They don't really cut anything, but they do move and make noise. They kind of look like chainsaws. If I had a video, I'd play it, and you'd see it rotating. And all their animals, all their friends. They love throwing wood off the truck. There's Elijah, age two, unloading the wood truck. Uh, We got a sawmill not too long ago, and so we're hauling logs to the sawmill to make lumber. It's really able to use the, the things that you have for the farm, you're able to use to be a blessing people. I don't know if you heard about the forest fires that we had in Washington this year. Devastating forest fires. A friend of my wife's lost their house. They lost everything. And praise the Lord. You know, in that area, a Baptist church was um, going around, and for everybody that lost a house, they built them a 12 by 16 foot cabin. God has people, his people, true followers, doing everything they know to be right, and uh, they're out there working. And so I showed up later and helped insulate and um, after they were gone, do the um, wiring on the house. And then, but I brought my sawmill over there and had all kinds of trees to choose from. Cut them down and made some lumber. We made a uh, new woodshed out of that, real nice woodshed and also a pole barn. But uh, that we had purchased the pressure treated stuff for that. But... Uh, you find that the things that you have in agriculture you can use to be a blessing to people in times of need. This is the trail that goes between our house and the farm. We had got one of those game cameras. We were losing a lot of deer all of a sudden. We wondered, uh-oh, I wonder what's going on. And so here's some of the pictures. April 19th, June 16th. Aha, bears. Anybody guess what that is? You young people, can you see it? Coyote. We do have wolves. My neighbor's game camera picked up a wolf not too long ago. We've got everything. Wolves, bears, grizzly bears. What do you think that is? Notice the time stamp on that. 2.14 in the afternoon. Mountain lion. The very same trail my children walk on. 
There's another one, 7.24 p.m. You know, we live in a world of sin. Amen? We need God's protection. But God expects us to do the things we can do as well. There was a time in Nehemiah, it says, make a story, long story short, that the enemies didn't want God's people to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It says, they which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Nehemiah four seventeen and 18. You know, we live in a world uh, where people put more, um, what do you say? They care more about animals than people, you know? And because of that, a lot of predators and things are in abundance where they really used to not be that way. But um, God expects us to do the things we can to protect ourselves. And I'm not going to tell you everything that we've done, but one of the things we did was we got two new dogs. One of them is named um, Sequoia. And then the other one's name is Willow. And we have another dog named Cedar, German Shepherd. But she's kind of small compared to these dogs. Willow's about 110 pounds, and Sequoia's 140. They're called Great Pyrenees, these big white teddy bear dogs. And uh, they can kill wolves, and they can drive grizzlies away, and they have a, they have a chance against mountain lions too. And so they're on patrol now, and... Anyway, I don't need to go more into that. Lot was afraid, remember? I'm going to make this really short. He didn't want to flee the city. He asked God when God told him, you've got to get out of there. He didn't want to go because why? He was afraid that some evil beast might get him. Do you remember reading that? I cannot escape to the mountain lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold, now this city is near unto it, and this little one, oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. God let him go ahead and do that and go to that little city. But when he got there, he realized, you know what? This place is in bad a shape as the one I left. And then he went and fled to a cave. Friends, can we trust God? Where did We have to work with God in our gardens, in our farms, and in whatever challenges we face. God will be there for us. I'm going to just go through this because of lack of time. I always say a lot more in the sermon than I think I'm going to say. I could not sleep past 2 o'clock this morning. During the night season I was in council, I was pleading with some families to avail themselves of God's appointed means and get away from the cities to save their children. Some were loitering, making no determined efforts. Because Lot loitered, his wife ended up on the plane a pillar of salt. That's what that quote's about. Let's not have a lingering spirit like Lot. Country Living, pages 6 and 7. The same voice that warned Lot to leave Sodom bids us, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean. Those who obey this warning will find a refuge. Let every man be wide awake for himself and try to save his family. Let him gird himself for the work. God will reveal from point to point what to do next. Praise the Lord. Hear the voice of God through the Apostle Paul. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But he's not going to do the willing or the doing. You've got to be the doer. Got to be like Moses. God didn't part that water and say, Moses, now go out there. He said what? Go forward. As, as he went forward in obedience to God's instructions, the water parted. Does God want you to be a farmer? Well, you need to answer that question. You need to study. You need to pray. You need to look for providences. I'm not going to do a sermon on how to determine God's will. But I want to read this to you. The earth has its concealed treasures, and the Lord would have thousands and tens of thousands working upon the soil who are crowded into the cities to watch for a chance to earn a trifle. Those who take their families into the country place them where they have fewer temptations. The children who are with parents that love and fear God are in every way much better situated to learn of the great teacher. 
who is the source and fountain of wisdom. They have a much more favorable opportunity to gain a fitness for the kingdom of heaven. Adventist home, page, what was that, 143 or 43? There's probably not that many in there. Tens of thousands of farmers. Now this last point. Yes, God wants tens of thousands of farmers. Even if everybody here and everybody watching on the internet, because I know there's like 1,200 last, uh, last night. Um, well, we haven't even reached our first 10,000, right? So we need some farmers. And you know, the chiefest reason, or one of the chiefest reasons, which I haven't talked about yet, is witnessing. And I don't have any points up there because I didn't need to put any points to remind me about it. Because it's so exciting, we've been having the most exciting things happening to us. One time we were walking through our farm and they were asking us about the strawberries, some neighbors, and uh, they were saying, oh, we're going to come and buy a produce from you this year. And, and then all of a sudden in the middle of the conversation, she turned around and said to my wife, and we hadn't talked really about anything religious or whatever. She said, do you give Bible studies in your home? We want to come to your house and have Bible studies. Like, whoa, what happened there? (laughs) You know? Um, Strange things have been happening. Just a few weeks ago, I was delivering raspberries to one of our customers who's been buying from us for a few couple years, and I've never mentioned anything religious. I don't think I've even, you know, said praise the Lord or anything. I might have sometime, but um, as I was leaving, she said, do you know what? I don't know how the conversation, people are talking about end time events right now. She said, you know what? I think the Pope has something to do with the end times. I didn't say anything. And she's just coming out and talking about that. And she said, and you know what? I'm a Roman Catholic. She kind of whispered it. said, whoa. I said, would you like, if I brought you a DVD on Bible prophecies, would you like to watch that with your husband? She said, sure. So I brought her the DVD, and then I didn't, I gave it to her, and um, I didn't hear from her for a couple weeks. I think this might, I can't remember all the timing of it, and I was worried, you know. I gave her something on prophecy that normally I don't do the very first topic, but she was so interested in it. And uh, I finally got a hold of or I came back to bring her some more berries, and she um, said, oh, that DVD, I don't have it to give to you. I liked it so much, I gave it to my neighbor and loaned it to them to watch it. And uh, I said, I've got another one. Would you like to watch another one? Oh, yeah. And uh, so now I'm going to give her one on the prophecies of Jesus. And... Um, this was by Anchor Point Films. Have you heard those or seen those DVDs? I've tried to ask people to have Bible studies with me, but n- nobody ever does want to. But they take DVDs, and uh, so I can't feel too bad about that, I guess. But I always say, do you want to have a Bible study? And maybe they go, whoa, what are you going to try and convert me to your church or something? Or maybe I come on too strong. But uh, if I ask them, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying my experience has been, I've been sharing DVDs. And um, my, one of my neighbors has been uh, watching DVDs, and I got a ride with him in his uh, truck as we were plowing snow because I got stuck in my tractor, and he said, you should get a truck with a snow plow, you know, and um, my truck is better than your, snow, your, your tractor. And <laughs> it was a funny conversation, but he started talking about all these things with, uh, well, you know, the Hal Lindsey left behind series and how things are just futurism and all this stuff that nobody used to believe in any denomination if you go back 50 years or or further they all didn't believe those things and i didn't i realized at that point that i uh it's one thing to listen to a sermon and see it there and point after point you go yeah this all makes sense this is this is the truth but when you're there in the middle of it and somebody's bringing up verses you realize, oh, maybe I don't know this as well as I thought I know it. And um, so it's been good for me. I need to close. I want to tell you one more story. 
in the same line. Jesus fed 5,000 people. What did, he, what did the people want to do after he fed them? They wanted to make him king. My wife wonders where I am sometimes. She comes down to the farm and she looks around and she goes, where's John? She doesn't really call out. She just looks. Is he at the house? No, he's not at the house. No, there's no cats or dogs there. Is he at the greenhouse? No, no cats or dogs in front of the greenhouse. Is he in the office? No. Barn? No. Shop? Oh, there's all the cats, all the dogs sitting in front of the shop. That's how she finds me. Just look where the animals are. Why do they follow me around? I'm the one that feeds them. When you're a farmer, you're uniquely positioned. You have trust or you build trust, especially over time. You're uniquely positioned to be able to share the truth of the Bible with people. And uh, so I think if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you should be, now this is just my opinion, I know, I'm, I like to make things easy. So it's much more broad and complex I'm making it, so don't take me totally serious, but you should either be a doctor, nurse, a preacher, or a farmer. If we were all that, we would get the work done. You know, I've, I've tried knocking on doors and call porting. Before I tried to learn to be an evangelist, I went out with a call porter in um, Tennessee, and we went door to door, and he said, and this man was able to pay off his mortgage doing this. And we got home, he said, you should not be a call porter. <laughs> he said, I've never had this bad a day, this cold a day in my entire life. You go do evangelism. I was relieved because I don't like knocking on the doors cold. But when people already know you and they're bringing up the, uh, up the subjects, how easy is it? Um, I love it. Well, we need to close. God would have ten thousands, thousands and ten thousands of farmers. He may be speaking to you. I have quotes in here about don't being rash. Don't just read the book Country Living and read it all the way through. Don't make rash moves. God wants everything to be done decently and in order. And I know you're attending these meetings here, or maybe you're watching online. There's a lot of instruction that if you pay attention to it, if you heed it, it'll help you not make rash moves. Let's pray that God will bless us in the rest of these meetings. Amen. Thank you for giving me the time to speak to you. Father in heaven, there may be people online or people here wondering if you have a plan for their life. Maybe they're unemployed. Maybe... They're thinking of changing employment. Maybe they're worried about their family or their children. Let them know that you brought them here to hear this message and you brought me here to share with them, to sell them on the fact that you love them, that your plans and thoughts of them are for good and not for evil, to give them an expected end. I pray that you'll be with us. Help us to know your will. Help us to encourage each other in the straight and narrow path. I pray that you help also the things that we're learning here to stick in our mind, not only for our own benefit, but that we can share it with others and be a witness and a help to those around us when we go back to our homes. We pray that you be with us um, the rest of this evening. Give us a good night's rest and help us tomorrow and help us to be prepared for the soon coming Sabbath, the blessing that you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.